Hello and welcome back to another episode of Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. I'm... And that's what my dog sounds like. Black Canary. I'll need a sparring partner. some leggy dame in nylons or have i answered my own question ladies and gentlemen it's time for magic hello and welcome back to another episode of power of fishnets the black canary and zatanna podcast I'm Ryan Daly, and on this episode, I'll be covering parts two and three of Zatanna's Search. If you don't remember back on episode three, Zatanna is the daughter of Zatara, a famous stage magician from the Golden Age of Comics, who battled the forces of evil with the magic spells he casts by speaking the incantations backwards. Cut to 1964. Zatara has vanished, and Zatanna, who has taken up her father's gig as touring stage magician, and who can also cast spells by speaking them backwards, is looking for daddy. The first leg of Zatanna's search appeared in Hawkman issue 4, which I covered back in episode 3. This episode will review parts 2 and 3 of her journey in Detective Comics issue 336 and The Atom issue 19. If you want to read along with these stories, but don't have the 50-year-old individual issues, the good news is Detective Comics 336 has been reprinted in Showcase Presents Batman Volume 1 Trade Paperback, and in Batman The Dynamic Duo Archives Volume 2. The Atom Issue 19 was reprinted in Showcase Presents The Atom Volume 2. Or, simpler and probably cheaper, The entire six-part saga of Zatanna's search has been collected in one trade paperback called JLA Zatanna's Search. Pretty convenient, huh? That's the book that I'm using to read these stories. Before diving into the next part of Zatanna's story, though, I wanted to briefly mention that, as of now, there have been no official announcements regarding Zatanna in or after DC's rebirth this summer. Now, if you haven't heard, on May 25th, DC is going to release a one-shot special called DC Universe Rebirth. What's the story about? I have no idea. But following that issue's release, DC is canceling all of its current titles and relaunching their books with new number one issues in June. The first wave of books will be the franchise heroes like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, the Justice League, etc. Other waves of second and third tier titles will hit in July, August, and after that. None of the books they've announced so far are named after Zatanna, nor does it sound like she's part of any team book at this point. There is a new Hellblazer book coming out in July, which I'm assuming will star John Constantine. It's possible Zatanna will show up in that book, but I'm kind of hoping she doesn't. I don't want her to be shackled to a niche property because she's Constantine's special lady friend. So, I don't know what the future holds for Zatanna. And right now, I don't care. That's not what this podcast is about. I'm still focusing on her past. And after this promo break, I'm going to tell you about her second and third appearances in DC Comics. Don't go away. 
Doom Patrol. 1963. Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure issue 80. 1964. My Greatest Adventure renamed Doom Patrol. Issue 85. 1968. Doom Patrol destroyed. Issue 121. 1976. The new Doom Patrol. Showcase 94. 1987. Doom Patrol Volume 2. Copperberg Lytle. 1989. Morrison and Case. Issue 19. 1993. Pollack. Issue 64. 2001. Doom Patrol Volume 3. Arcudi Hewitt. 2004. Doom Patrol Volume 4. Burn. Shush. 2009. Doom Patrol Volume 5. Giffen Clark. 2012. 2013. 2014. 2015. 2016. Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast. Because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. Detective Comics issue 336 sported a cover date of February 1965. According to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, the book would have actually hit the newsstands on December 31st, 1964. It cost 12 cents. Yeah, 12 cents. The newest Star Wars comic from Marvel costs $5. Anyway, this issue of Detective contained two stories, a Batman and Robin adventure and a backup story starring Ralph Dibney, the elongated man. The book was edited by Julie Schwartz and featured a cover by Carmine Infantino, the artist who created Black Canary, by the way. Zatanna's second canonical appearance is in the Batman adventure titled Batman's Bewitched Nightmare, written by Gardner Fox, who created Zatanna and wrote her first appearance in Hawkman 4, with pencil art by Sheldon Moldoff and inks by Joe Gella. Instead of my usual detailed synopsis, I'm going to borrow the very abbreviated recap from Mike's Amazing World. Yes, I'm breezing through this story, and I'll explain why in a minute. Batman and Robin are called to the scene of a bank robbery by Commissioner Gordon. The crooks are protected by a witch who seems to possess magic abilities and flies on a broomstick. The witch sequentially removes each of the five senses from the dynamic duo, touch, sight, sound, smell, and taste, in an attempt to kill them. Using their wits, Batman and Robin prevail over each of these handicaps. Robin deduces that the broomstick is the source of the witch's power. When he takes it from her, Batman is able to defeat the crooks. Later, a voice emanating from the broomstick reveals that the outsider was responsible for the attack on Batman. Now, if you're wondering where was Zatanna in that story, she wasn't. There is a witch who uses magic, but she's clearly not Zatanna. She's an old red-haired crone. She doesn't look like Zatanna, she doesn't talk like Zatanna, doesn't act like Zatanna. She's totally not Zatanna. Except that she is Zatanna in disguise, but that fact will only be revealed retroactively in the sixth and final part of Zatanna's search. Gardner Fox and Julie Schwartz never intended for the story to be the second appearance of Zatanna. This Batman story was meant to be yet another chapter in the saga of Batman's battle with the Outsider, who turns out to be Alfred the Butler, but that's a whole other thing that I'm not going to get into. Fox and Schwartz decided to use Batman in the final chapter of Zatanna's search, 
But up till that point, Batman and Zatanna had never met, so they made a retcon. They called back to this issue of Detective Comics and claimed that this witch was Zatanna all along. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. But it was the 60s. Zatanna does not appear in this story, but it is considered her second appearance, and it is collected in the trade paperback JLA Zatanna Search, which is why I chose to cover it. But I won't spend any more time on it. The weirdness of the story might make more sense when we get to part 6, but I make no guarantee of that. Okay, one more promo break and then chapter 3. Zatanna does show up in that one, I promise. The Film and Water Podcast, a weekly show about movies old and new. Hosted by obsessive movie nerd Rob Kelly and a rotating series of special guests. From sci-fi to horror, dramas to family films, comedies to adventure epics, we watch it all. The Film and Water Podcast is part of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. Available weekly at fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Atom, issue 19, is cover dated June-slash-July 1965. The actual on-sale date was April 8th that year. Like Detective 336, this comic cost a mere 12 cents for 32 pages. It was written by Gardner Fox, penciled by Gil Kane, inked by Sid Green, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Kane provided the cover with inks by Murphy Anderson, who you might remember drew Hawkman issue 4 and defined the look of Zatanna in her first appearance. The cover depicts the tiny titan leaping into battle against a winged lizard separating itself from a golden chalice held by an evil sorcerer with crazy eyes. <laughs> I know, right? In the lower left corner we get a headshot of Zatanna with her top hat and a text box reading Special Guest Star, Zatanna the Magician. This little headshot is Zatanna's first appearance on a cover. She did not appear on the cover to Hawkman issue 4, nor would she appear on the cover to Detective 336, since, as we covered, she wasn't really there. I didn't even realize this until Chris Franklin of the Supermates podcast pointed it out, but he's right. This is Zatanna's first cover appearance, and all it is is just a headshot. Last episode, didn't I point out how the slow-boiling introduction to the character, while innovative, might have cost her some points in the popular icon department? Moving on, the story in Adam 19 is titled World of the Magic Adam, and it's divided into three parts. When Chapter 1 begins, it's midnight in Ivytown. A gang of crooks hangs outside a bank, thinking about all the cash they'd like to steal. They're not so much casing the joint as they are just loitering, but when one of the crooks named Biff Barker leans against the wall, he finds it insubstantial. Biff and the gang walk right through the wall into the bank. They don't understand how this is happening, but when life hands you lemons, you walk into a bank vault and steal lots of lemonade. The next morning, Ray Palmer is cruising around Ivy Town in his sweet red convertible when he hears about the bank robbery on the radio. Shortly after, a phone rings in the police station, and when the desk sergeant picks it up, the costumed mighty might known as the Atom emerges from the receiver. As the cops describe the crime to Adam, a sudden mental image strikes Ray out of nowhere, the exact location of Biff Barker's criminal hideout. 
When the Atom takes off to bust the gang, the cops are astonished at how quickly the superhero was able to deduce the gang's whereabouts using his scientific acumen. Unknown to the cops, and inexplicable to the Atom, science had nothing to do with the mental image in his mind. It seems instead to be something like magic. Shrunk down to only a few inches tall, the Atom sneaks into Biff Barker's house where the gang is celebrating their successful heist. Adam drops from the ceiling fan, knocking over the coffee pot which scatters the gang from the table. Adam knocks out Biff, then springs off the toaster to avoid gunfire from the other crooks. He lands near a sink and sprays the other goons with a hose. While the crooks are soaked and distracted, Adam whacks them in their heads with a frying pan. After leaving the gang for the cops, Ray Palmer goes home and begins tweaking his size-altering device. Whereas the controls for his shrinking power used to be in his belt, he now runs the circuitry through his gloves. This means he doesn't necessarily need two free hands and access to his belt in order to change his size and weight. That'll probably come up later on, just saying. A moment later, Ray Palmer gets a phone call. A woman tells him that she is responsible for planting the mental image in his mind, allowing him to find the bank robbers. What amazes Ray, however, is that the woman called him in his civilian identity. Whoever she is, she knows that the Atom is Ray Palmer. Of course, it's not difficult to figure out, if you're magic. With a puff of smoke, the beautiful Zatanna appears in Ray's laboratory. Ray recognizes the young woman in a tuxedo top and fishnet stockings. Hawkman told him all about his adventure with the girl who split in two. Zatanna tells Adam that after using Hawkman's Absorbuscon to learn that her father was nowhere on Earth, she tried to contact Zatara through a magic seance. She found only a tenuous connection to her father in a book, a book that just so happened to be locked away in the bank vault. It was in making this mystic connection that her spell unintentionally allowed the Biff Barker gang to walk through the walls of the vault. Zatanna also explains, as if it wasn't obvious, that she sent Ray the magic image of the gang's hideout so he could catch them. Zatanna summons the book, which used to belong to her father. She believes Zatara is inside the book, trapped somewhere in a microscopic world within its pages. She has come to the Atom for help shrinking down that small and entering the micro-world. Ray tells her that he can't simply shrink her down, she'll need a specialized costume made of the same white dwarf star material as his. That's no trouble. With a sheet of white dwarf woven cloth, Zatanna casts the magic spell, Eti Frod Retsam, Epaz Atni Imut Sak. And with that, she shapes the cloth into a costume of white dwarf matter. But the costume still looks exactly like her normal tuxedo getup. Hey, why ruin a good character design, right George Perez? With that, the two adventurers shrink down to the micro-world of the book, and I'll stop there for a minute as that's the end of chapter one. I really like the Atom. I like the quirkiness of shrinking heroes, which is why Ant-Man has been one of my favorite Marvel superheroes since long before his own movie was even imaginable. This version of the Atom is a great, fun character. He's got an awesome costume, such a striking but streamlined look. You can hear me and Diablo Frank talk about the Atom in greater depth on episode 29 of the Secret Origins podcast. As for his part of the story, the gimmick of crooks walking through walls for reasons they don't understand is silly and pure Silver Age. But Ray Palmer gets right to action. He's a scientist, but he's an adventurer too. He loves fighting crime. And the fight scene is really good. Gil Kane can be hit or miss with a lot of fans. I really like him, 
but he's a little uneven in this issue. Some of the close-ups and headshots look off, but the fight scene when the Adam rousts the gang looks great. It's three pages, but it moves quickly and smoothly. The choreography is interesting. Adam dives into a toaster and springs up, somersaulting around bullets as the crooks try to take him out. It's cool. It's really cool. And as for Zatanna, she looks great. I think Gil Kane draws a better-looking Zatanna than Murphy Anderson did in her first appearance. Her facial features are a little bit softer now. A little bit softer now? Sorry. Sorry. Uh, her eyes are a little wider, and it makes her look younger and more classically beautiful. A little bit softer now. A little bit louder now. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Alright, so let's get to the World of the Magic Atom Chapter 2. The subatomic realm Adam and Satana go to is called Catamore, and it's surprisingly inhabited. The ruler of this land is an ancient wizard called the Druid, who wears a white robe with a mistletoe wreath around his head. I've tried to rock that look, but it didn't work. The Druid witnesses the Adam and Zatanna enter his land and welcomes them, for he wants to destroy the Princess of Prestidigitation just as he did her father. We learn that the Druid was an enemy of Zatara on Earth. He fled to Catamor and Zatara pursued him, but the Druid discovered he could turn the people of Catamor into energy beings to increase his own magic powers. At last, he cast a spell that banished Zatara to an unknown, unheard of dimension. And now he plans to do the same thing to Zatanna and the Atom. The druid has a golden chalice adorned with a flying lizard. A dragon, basically, though they call it a flying lizard. The flying lizard comes to life and leaves the chalice, flying through the sky and attacking the heroes. It catches Adam in its talons, but thankfully he is able to shrink out of its grip because he switched the controls of his shrinking technology out of his belt and into his glove. Remember? That was clever. Adam jumps on the dragon's back and rides it back to the chalice. He shatters the golden cup and the dragon dissipates into thin air. Meanwhile, Zatanna goes directly to the druid and casts a spell that makes the castle walls come alive like giant hands and grip the druid. But his magic is far more powerful than hers, for he gains power from all the people in the realm. He breaks free and laughs at Zatanna, mocking her, knowing she'll never be able to stop him. And that ends chapter 2. A weird thing I noticed in this is both Zatanna and the Atom shrunk down to microscopic size to enter this fantastical world of Catamore, but when they show up, their scales are still different. Adam appears much smaller than her, like he would be in his usual six-inch state if they were on Earth. There's also a little more continuity between this story and the first part of Zatanna's search than just her and her father. Back in Hawkman issue 4, she said the two leads she had on Zatara were his enemies, one an Oriental Lama, and one called the Druid. We're seeing her follow up on the Druid now. Just between these two comics, we have an established history and rivalry that Zatara used to fight the Druid, and now Zatanna has to pick up where her father left off. Remember, this story is coming out a good seven or eight months after her first appearance. This is a cool bit of continuity. I really like this. So, the last part of the story begins with the druid about to destroy Zatanna, for every time she casts a spell, he absorbs it and becomes more powerful. But the Adam launches himself at the old wizard and punches him in the face. But Adam can't press his temporary advantage. Magical bubbles assault the Adam. These are the native beings of Catamore who are turned to energy. But Adam knocks a magical artifact into one of the bubbles and it pops, revealing the original human form. Together, Adam and the other being free the energy beings from the druid's power. This siphons much of the druid's magical strength, although the wizard doesn't know this. 
The druid, however, has still absorbed all of Zatanna's magic. She's virtually powerless against him. But Adam has one more idea. He convinces Zatanna to do a magic trick. Not a real trick, though. One of her stage magic illusions. She does a little card trick, and the druid tries to absorb it. But as it's not real magic, only pseudo-magic, as the Adam calls it, the spell backfires on the druid, putting him into a coma-like state. Look, I know magic doesn't always obey the same hard rules of science, but... What? Anyway, Zatanna laments that the druid cannot tell her where he sent her father, so she and the Adam might as well head back to the normal world. The Adam says it might not be so easy for her because of the shrinking process usually fails when in reverse. Gee, that probably should have come up before he shrank her in the first place. When Zatanna grows, she seems to explode, and Ray Palmer thinks he killed her. But when he gets back to the normal world, Zatanna is there waiting for him. Perfectly fine. The magic she absorbed from her father's book saved her from... Whatever. This part of the story doesn't make a lot of sense. Anyway, Zatanna tells the Adam that she'll continue looking for her father, though she doesn't know to which magical realm he was banished. But maybe someone like Green Lantern can help her. That's not me previewing the next chapter, by the way. That's the last thing she says. It does tell you whose book she's showing up in next, but it's also a nice little dig at the Adam for failing to help her. So, what's the word on Adam issue 19 and Zatanna's second slash third appearance? It's a fun story. It doesn't make a lick of sense, but it's still fun. The Adam is the real star here, the real hero, which makes sense because it's his book. But Zatanna is still coming off as, I don't want to say inept, but green. I'm looking forward to the point where she can really take charge and take control of her own story. I'll make sure to post scans of a few of these pages to the Fire and Water website so you can see Gil Kane's art. Okay, so what about listener feedback? Or as Zatanna would say, listener feedback. I mean, she doesn't have to say it backwards, it's not magic. Oh, alright. Renetzil Kabdif. I got some nice comments about Zatanna's Search Part 1 back in Episode 3. Remember, you can leave a comment on any episode of Power of Fishnets at the website fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also share feedback on Facebook and Twitter. Chris Franklin from the Supermates Podcast and Power Records, both available on the Fire and Water Network, said, I think I first met Zatanna when she joined the Justice League of America in Issue 161. Not long after that, I picked up her first ever origin in DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest number 5, and that's where I learned of her quest. It was decades before I got to read those stories in the JLA Zatanna Search Trade paperback. It never occurred to me that Zatanna may have made a better post-crisis Wonder Woman substitute over Black Canary. I think the reason Dinah got the nod was her history was now nearly blank. Her appearances before JLA 75 would be attributed to her mother, and that bat-crap crazy retcon they did a few years before Crisis couldn't be used. She was in need of a backstory, and the JLA needed a female member. Done. Great episode, and I'm looking forward to the following chapters, especially the Batman story that was the retcon itself. Well, Chris, as you heard, I didn't spend a whole lot of time covering that Batman story, because it wasn't really connected to Zatanna, except for what will basically become a throwaway line in a couple of chapters from now. And I didn't want to spend much more time covering it, because, well, it's not my favorite Batman story. I can appreciate the charm of Silver Age Batman stories on an intellectual level, but on an emotional level, as a reader, that era of Batman and Robin, it's not my jam. So, 
Bradley Null said, I discovered Zatanna in Justice League of America 161, the same issue that Chris first discovered her. I missed the clue about how she was casting spells wrong because I didn't know how she was meant to be doing it. Nine-year-old Bradley felt tricked, enough he still remembers. Despite this rough introduction, she and her backwards-talking magic have always been one of my favorite things in comics. She is the best unifying support cast member in the DCU. Who else has drawn willing blood from Superman and smoked weed with John Constantine? Good question, Bradley. Martin Gray from the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl said, I've never ranked Zatanna's costumes, so here goes. Number one, the top hat and tux. Number two, the Perez scorpion topper. Number three, burn the rest. I don't know, Martin. I like the second costume that she got from Mom. It makes her look like Queen of the Vampires or something, which is not a bad thing. Martin continues, I hate all the New 52 looks with their tacky basques and ridiculous fishnet gloves. Z is classy, an Italian-American Atlantean. She shouldn't look like a low-grade underwear model. And Z is not a goth. I agree with that, Martin, but the girl can work the goth look. Finally, he says, the link with Constantine always felt wrong. She's a jet-setting stage magician, a superhero, not the doxy of some wide boy scouser. You know, sometimes I think Martin is just making up his own words. That could be his magic incantations. And Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog Comic Box Commentary said, Like others, I also first met Zatanna in Justice League of America 161. In fact, I wanted to claim dibs on co-hosting if you cover that issue, but now I wonder if a roundtable might not be a better idea. Since that was my first take on her, the Cindella version of her costume ranks high for me, probably number two below the Top Hat version. See. Ange gets me. We're on the same level regarding her costume. And Ange will definitely be on the show when I get to issue 161. Whether or not more people join us remains to be seen. My goal for the Zatanna episodes of this podcast is to treat them like an indexing show, hitting her appearances in order of publication. And JLA 161 was like her 26th appearance, so I'm looking forward to it, but it might be a couple of years down the road. Back to Ange's comment... The idea of Zatanna being a founder is an interesting one for all the reasons you say, specifically from a power level. The thing is, I skew her younger, too young to be there at the beginning. I always think of her as a tweener. She isn't a young hero like the original Titans. She isn't established like the Big Seven. She exists in that gap. If Batman is 29 and Robin is 18, then in my head Zatanna is 23. Well, Ange, you reread JLA Year One recently. Don't they establish that Black Canary was only 19 when the post crisis Justice League formed? That is going to be all for this episode. Big thanks to everyone who left a comment on the Fire and Water website or the Facebook page. Thanks to everyone who liked and shared this show on Facebook or favorited and retweeted it on Twitter. The next episode of Power of Fishnets will be a special crossover episode with a surprise guest host. I can't tell you more about it now but you'll love it when you hear it. And in roughly a month, I'll be back with episode 7 covering Zatanna Search Part 4, and I'll be joined on that episode by Nicholas Prom from the Comic Reflections podcast. Looking forward to both of those episodes. Now wait a minute. Power of Fishnets is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Power of Fishnets Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter at BlackCanaryFan, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. 
Power of Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics. The views expressed on this show belong solely to the speaker. All music, audio clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. And since I make no money off this podcast, no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and as always, when we wrap up a Zatanna episode, Iva a Isin Yad. Shout a little bit softer now. Shout a little bit louder now. A little bit louder now.